Hello, I'm Pommy Harmer and you're listening to the sixth podcast of Follow the Sun. I'm with Marian Mente who wrote the book which presents the sequence of the Zodiac as a story. Later on we'll hear Marian reading this chapter where Aries moves into the land of Virgo. At this point we've travelled halfway around the Zodiac and the plot thickens considerably. Here we are introduced not only to Virgo, but also the signs of Libra and Scorpio as the parts they play in the story are coming to light. Well, hello, Marion. Hi, Pommy. We're almost (laughs) halfway through. Can you believe it? Yeah. And the plot, as you say, the plot thickens. Yes. So we'll hear about the story so far in a minute. But first, you've said that Virgo is a pivotal point. Can you say more about that and the characteristics of Virgo? Yeah, yeah. Virgo is, as I say, is the, is the sixth sign. It's halfway point around the zodiac circle. It's a mutable sign. It's ruled by Mercury, and hence it's got a subtle energy which is practical, analytical, and extremely resourceful. It begins around mid-August to mid-September, and Virgo's symbol is the maiden holding a, a sheaf of corn. Its energy is yin. Its element is earth. And because of its subtlety, unlike flamboyant Leo, ruled by the glorious sun, Virgo energy tends to modesty. And this sign is associated with the analytical mind, recording and discriminating that which is established, nurtured and organised. And physically it relates to the duodenum, the abdomen and the intestines. And the positive expression of Virgo energy is analytical, discerning, resourceful, versatile, meticulous, methodical, prudent. But when negative, it can be worrisome and nervous. It can be pernickety, it can be critical and calculating. And in excess, it can be prudish, scathing and obsessive about detail. So Virgo's realm is pivotal because here is where Aries has come through the individual realms and is much more aware that he's embarking on a greater journey than he'd at first envisaged, coming into the wider world of the collective realms. I'll speak more about this collective idea later when we talk of oppositions, but for the moment, Virgo is an industrious energy, and strongly Virgo types are usually very hard workers, which, along with her sheaf of corn, I felt that the dedication to running a farm, together with other cottage industries that she gets up to, describes this element of that nature very well. I think it does. So I'm looking <laughs> forward to hearing the story. Quick roundup of where we are so far. Much has happened to Aries since he embarked on his journey to follow the sun. After traversing the realms of Taurus, Gemini, Cancer and Leo, still unaware of the black pearl Cancer placed secretly around his neck, Aries is escorted by Leo to the boundary of Virgo's realm. During the ram's time in Leo's realm, further intrigue occurs since Scorpio's eagle has learnt from Cancer that Aries unknowingly has the pearl, and she reports this to Scorpio. We are also aware that the Shrike did not perish, but is alive and in pursuit of Aries, having gained information that he carries the pearl, which it must retrieve because the pearl is vital to its plans to disrupt life on Zodiac. We now catch up with Aries as he waits with Leo on the boundary of Virgo's realm. They are spending a last evening together before Aries plans to make his farewell in the morning. And as we shall see, not all goes according to plan. Arrival in Virgo's realm. Leo's in-royal style meant precisely that. With a huge retinue of entertainers and admirers, he led the way around the longer trail across the plains where they would pass a number of luxuriant waterholes to replenish the large company as they travelled. The mode of their procession was a glorious carnival. Musicians, dancers, actors, clowns, jugglers, singers and acrobats all gave their best performances and Ares felt deeply honoured to be the subject of such fanfare. For his own part, Leo loved this processional kind of extravaganza with fun and entertainment that would continue for days. He vowed to do it again, a grand tour around his realm, when, of course, he would invite the sovereigns of the collective realms. As the landscape became increasingly verdant, 
Before the uplands gently dipped into the rolling veils of Virgo's realm, he commanded his entourage to return to the plains proper, preferring to travel alone with his friend for the short remainder of their journey. Evening was approaching when they reached the last waterhole, and rain clouds were gathering. Leo's mood was sultry, akin to that of the day. The peaks loomed nearer, and as Ares' gaze lingered on the snow-clad pinnacles, a thrill passed through him. He could see his ambitions were nearing fulfilment, that his goal was within reach. Swaying gently in the foreground, fields of ripened corn shone with an iridescent light under the flint sky. Beyond the large expanse of cornfields, he could just discern a small thatched house fronted by a neat carpet of green. Again, this was something entirely new to him. Some larger outbuildings stood off to one side of the house, while planted behind it, mounting a small rise in the land, were rows of trees growing in straight lines. Though the fields and orchards reminded him of Taurus's realm, he could see a difference in the way the land was ordered. It put him in mind of the mercurial Gemini and their woodland shrubs that grew in matching pairs. He turned to Leo to speak his thoughts, but noticing his friend's unusually quiet demeanour, decided to quell his enthusiasm, which might seem overbearing and inappropriate. Having shared adventures and good times, they both felt sad at parting company. Let's camp for the night in the shelter of those trees, he suggested. Fresh starts are always better in the morning. Leo yawned in agreement, then muttered that he hoped the rain would hold off for another day. His mane, don't you know? Ares was eager to meet Virgo. Hers was the last realm before reaching the foothills of the Great West Mountains and the domains of those of the Collective. He was gaining a greater sense of the wider world around him, that there was much more waiting to be discovered. What would he learn next? Where will his goal eventually lead him? What is his place in the wider scheme? His entry into Virgo's realm was indeed pivotal, and before the coming dawn he would come to realise that the cause and course of his journey were on the point of change. But for the moment, despite his excitement and apprehensions, he and Leo sat in companionable silence under an olive tree at the edge of a small grove, unaware of the eagle as she passed high above. But she had spotted them in the grove, her gaze missed nothing when she was hunting, regardless of the cover of trees. She was returning to Scorpio with her news from the forest, and now, thankfully, also of Ares' location. Time was of the essence. Virgo was, at this time, preparing to retire earlier to bed than usual, tired after a busy day getting ready for the harvest. She had counted her chickens and livestock, cleared the barn of chaff, sharpened the scythes, and last but not least, made sure the guest room was spick and span, ready to receive her neighbour, Libra. Libra was the first of the collective realms, his domain being the foothills of the mountains. He was due to arrive at daybreak next morning to help gather, weigh and record the yields of which Virgo kept a precise account. Virgo was equally fastidious about her bedtime routine. First she would record the day's events in her diary, then take a relaxing bath in the soothing oils she had distilled from plants and berries. Her bath was followed with a rigorous brushing of her long golden hair, 100 strokes to make it gleam, before donning a fresh cotton nighty and slipping between the crisp white sheets of her applewood bed. By the light of a beeswax candle, she nestled into the warmth of her goose-down quilt and re-read all she had recorded to ensure there were no mistakes or omissions. Because of the ongoing disruption in communications, she was unaware that anything was amiss. She didn't know that there had been an earthquake in the distant realm of Ares, nor that the ram was traversing the lands, even less that he rested on the edge of her cornfields, eager to make her acquaintance. Meanwhile, at his villa in the foothills, Libra was busy giving the final polish to a marble sculpture he had crafted. 
It was a gift for Virgo, which he was sure would delight her. With a fine sense of what is aesthetically pleasing, Libra accomplished balance and harmony in his works of art and his environment. Satisfied the finish was perfected, he closed the door on his workshop and strolled through his ornamental gardens to enjoy a moment of tranquillity before returning to the house to prepare for his journey and very early start. Being of good posture and even proportions, Libra's suave manner was in step with his classically handsome features. Beardless, with well-groomed hair and expressive eyes, the fact that he took good care of himself and his appearance was evident. He enjoyed helping with the harvest, and though the work was arduous, it kept him fit, and he usually stayed on for a number of days after the crops were in. Virgo was an excellent cook and, when relaxed, a warm and knowledgeable hostess, even if a bit of a taskmaster in the fields. He was happy to contribute his efforts in return for her extended hospitality and would always take her a gift in return for the delicious conserves and wines, the fruits of former yields, she insisted he take home. Strolling in the last of the evening's light, Libra was admiring the late flowering roses, but tranquillity eluded him. Being a sovereign of the collective realms, he was aware of issues that affected all of Zodiac and was deeply troubled by these. His thoughts were of a looming disaster. It concerned the fate of the transforming fire. This fire burned from the core of their world, beneath the labyrinth of Scorpio's realm, which sprawled under the Great West Range. For some mysterious reason it seemed to be slowly dying, and that threatened a catastrophe of enormous magnitude. It endangered the replenishment of light to their sun and the renewing cycle of life. Amidst this grave concern was also the mystery of the Black Pearl and the tragedy that was imminent if it was not found before the passing of the thirteenth moon, which was drawing ever nearer. Despite all the investigations and counsels held by the Collective, they were unable to find any resolution to these problems. The disruption in communications across the realms had greatly hindered their efforts, but they had taken some comfort in believing that the culprit responsible for the communications chaos, the Shrike, had perished in a terrible storm which had shaken the realms of Gemini and Taurus earlier in the current cycle. At that time, Eagle had been under great pressure to return in haste with intelligence about the communications situation. Once she had ascertained the Gemini's information regarding the Shrike and witnessed its lair consumed in flames, she considered her mission complete. Careful inspections and investigations around the forest following the disaster affirmed there was no further trace of the Shrike and that it had perished. She didn't realise that there had been an earthquake in the headland or that Ares had abandoned his realm, reporting only what she had glimpsed on her last hurried check in that the headland was still plagued with dreadful fogs and that lightning had damaged the top of Great Tor. Moreover, Taurus had teamed his usual self, relaxing in his meadow. Nothing further to report. Whilst Virgo and Libra were busy preparing for the morrow's harvesting, Deep in the Great West Mountain Range, Scorpio paced her underground chamber, anxious for Eagle's return. Serpentus, her snake, sensed her agitation and coiled himself on the cushions set around the large iron brazier burning hot in the centre of the cavern. It had been several nights since Stork had arrived with the urgent summons from Cancer. Eagle had responded with discretion, immediately taking the request to her mistress. Scorpio spoke with Stork and agreed her eagle would go with great haste. Consult with no one during your flight. Cancer warns to observe secrecy. She asks you to take special care over no man's land. As if she need to remind you of that. But fly high, my beauty. A mere speck in the sky those scavengers won't see. Your flying to the forests at this unscheduled time might arouse unwanted suspicions. Until we know what this mystery is about, you must trust no one. And she turned to walk away, lowering her gaze and her tone as she disappeared into the shadows. Hurry home. 
Scorpio had much desired to fly with her bird on such an intriguing mission, but knew the glare of sunlight would scorch her skin, cause her headaches and sickness, for the dark and secret places were the terrain of her domain. Curiosity was bringing her almost to the point of distraction as she waited. She now poured herself a glass of ruby wine and slumped onto the cushions beside her serpent. Moving his upper body onto her lap, she took comfort in his strong, muscular form, gently stroking his head as her needle-sharp mind searched for possible reasons behind the summons. At that moment, the eagle flew into the chamber with her news. Scorpio was jubilant to hear the black pearl had been found, but deeply concerned to learn that the Shrike was the likely thief, mystified as to how it was able to steal the gem, or what means had it used. Absorbing the intelligence received, she swiftly formed a plan of action. Pleased with her eagle and the good speed she had made, Scorpio offered her faithful bird a dish of much-loved sweetmeats, bidding her to rest a while. There would be another mission this night, a mission that required great stealth and Eagle must take Serpentus to efficiently execute the plan. Being the eve of the harvest, who knows what forces are gathering in Virgo's realm tonight? Be extra vigilant, she warned as they were setting off. Confident her agents would do exactly as bid, she retired to her bedchamber, feeling certain of a fate accompli. Being unaware of the disaster in Ares' realm, and that the ram was now abroad, Libra strived to put his concerns about the fire and the pearl from mind, preferring to soothe his senses with the beauty of the roses. Then he spotted the eagle flying with urgency in the direction of Virgo's realm, but what alarmed him more was that she carried Serpentus with her. He knew something must be very wrong for both of Scorpio's agents to leave their realm together, Perhaps some disaster had befallen Scorpio, but no, Eagle would surely have come directly to him in such an event. Then it must be that Virgo had sent for Eagle, that there was some emergency at the farm. He decided not to wait until morning, but to make his way to Virgo at once. Harnessing the pony and trap, he wrapped the statue in a blanket and placing it safely aboard, went to fetch his work clothes and change into his riding clothes. If luck was with him, he should make good distance out of the foothills over the moors before the pending storm broke. Come nightfall, the air was close and humid, and despite the threat of a storm, the grove seemed peaceful. Ares slept soundly, but Leo was uneasy, disturbed by a strange sense of foreboding. He had noticed a large bird alighting on one of the upper branches of an adjacent tree, but knowing it was harvest time, he'd thought little of it. This was the Shrike, and Leo's wakeful presence didn't please it one iota. The Shrike also became aware of another presence, silent and menacing, lurking in the branches above where the pair lay. It could make no move on Ares for the moment. Restless, Leo rose to take a drink from the small pool nearby. There was no moon and the stars were hidden behind a blanket of cloud. This was surely the darkest night he had ever known. As he lapped half-heartedly, longing for the dawn and the return of his beloved son, a rumble of thunder warned that the storm was about to break. Turning back to the grove, he froze. A streak of lightning pierced the dark and in its flash he saw the silhouette of a snake drooping from the branches above Ares' head, its gaping jaws poised at the ram's throat. He lunged at the dark shape, his teeth and claws dragging the snake's body from the tree. Like the lash of a whip, the serpent retaliated, sinking its fangs into Leo's back. The lion roared in pain and, losing consciousness, fell to the ground as the poisoning venom coursed through his veins. 
Thunder and lightning clashed. The eagle flew low in close circles above the scene. She had been waiting in a nearby tree for Serpentus to return, but on hearing the howl from Leo, realised their plan had gone horribly wrong. The serpent was badly lacerated, and the deep gashes he'd sustained slowed his progress through the long grasses. He managed to crawl clear of the grove before Ares was fully aware of what had happened. Once the eagle sighted her companion, she swooped down, carefully lifted his torn body in her talons and winged her way over the corn to the cottage of Virgo. Alerted by Leo's cries, Ares was horrified to see him fallen and at a loss what to do. The shrike seized its moment. I saw it all from my branch in that twee. A worm hath bitten the beast in the back. Lucky it didn't get you too. Ares was further startled by this sudden presence and stood speechless. The shrike spoke again, a crafty plan forming in its mind. The beast will die without medicine. You can't get the poison out. The beast is killed. Quick! Follow me. I'll lead you to safety before the poisoning worm returns. This is no beast, Ares cried indignantly. This is Leo, the king, my friend. I must save him. His mind reeled. What could he do? Leo was stone unconscious. The shrike hovered impatiently. Then quickly, quickly, follow me, it hissed urgently. Virgo hath medicine. Over the corn. Follow now. Glad of help, Ares rushed headlong into the cornfields as the storm raged. I can deal with storms, he told himself, determined to save Leo. Storms bring good outcomes. Beyond the Call of Duty "'My goodness me, what is all this fuss and so late at night?' complained Virgo, roused from sleep. She thought it might be the centaur making one of his untimely visits, and she had not the slightest intention of being hospitable to her nomadic colleague at such an unearthly hour, especially in her nightgown. "'If that's you, Sagittarius, you'll have to make do in the barn until breakfast.' she called, then buried her head under the quilt, determined not to listen to any of his cajoling responses and be persuaded to open her door for a nightcap and chat about his latest adventures. But the rapping continued louder and more urgent. Now fully alert and feeling more than a bit cross, she quickly lit a lantern before lifting the latch and peeping outside. The sight of the drenched eagle clutching the injured snake was the last thing she had expected or wanted to see. Serpentus! She kneeled to examine the deep gashes in the snake's body. What happened? she cried, running to fetch some salve from her ointments cupboard. And there is little time, urged the eagle in her low, rasping whisper. There has been a confrontation with Leo. He lies at the first pool beyond the corn. You must go there. Of course I'll go, snapped Virgo, disliking to be commanded, but understanding the urgency of the situation. She had seen the suffering inflicted by the snake's bite before. But tell me what has happened. What is going on? What confrontation? Why? she implored, smoothing salve into Serpentus's wounds. No time, Virgo. Must hurry, was all the eagle would impart. Once again she gathered up her companion and swooped off towards the mountains and Scorpio's cave. Don Scorpio, cos Virgo, stamping her foot as the impressive bird flew away. Why must she always be so secretive? But despite her proneness to nervous worrying, Virgo was able to keep her head in a crisis and acted quickly in response to the eagle's request. She deftly braided her hair while scanning the contents of her potions cupboard. The clearly labelled bottles and jars, all neatly stacked in perfect order, never failed to intrigue Libra, and he would often sketch them when he visited. He especially liked the arrangement of jars of coloured powders and bottles of little pills that Virgo made, all sugar-coated to taste sweet, and the wisp of a bittersweet fragrance wafting like a gossamer veil on opening the cupboard doors. It all held such a fascinating allure. In no time at all, Virgo had selected the ingredients of a potion to neutralise the venom without causing sickness. 
She mixed the powders with an almond-flavoured syrup, then decanted the liquid into a glass vial. All will be well if I arrive in time, she kept telling herself, repeating it like a mantra as she rushed around, filling her bag with everything she would need. Expecting Libra's arrival in the morning, she quickly scribbled him a note explaining her absence and requesting help if she had not returned home by the time he arrived. Pulling on a warm tunic and her cloak, she pinned the note to her front door, then reaching for her bag and lantern, set out into the hostile night. She ran across the cobble courtyard towards a small wooden bridge spanning the stream that irrigated the cornfields. Stepping onto the bridge, she was alarmed to see how much the water had risen and became anxious that her fields would flood. In any event, the ground would be muddy for the ensuing days, which meant the work would be heavier. And all that slimy mud, yuck, and the amount of laundry and boot cleaning that would be entailed. Ugh, oh, it was all too much. These worries, coupled with her deeper concern about Leo's deteriorating condition, were enough to upset her delicate tummy, and she started to feel quite queasy. But she must press on, and knew she had to make her way directly across the field to Leo, rather than hope to cover the distance around it in sufficient time. Oh, if only she hadn't loaned her pony and trap to Libra. Beating furiously at the head-high corn, her nimble frame was a poor match for the rain-sodden stalks impeding her progress. She was about to cry with frustration when the wind changed direction. The gusts now thrashed the corn away, clearing her path. Being light and fleet of foot, Virgo was able to make good speed and virtually danced along the lengths of bowed stalks, avoiding the sludgy earth beneath. As she made her way, the skies began to lift and the downpour eased to a drizzle. But the gusts remained strong. Though it was a dark night, her exceptionally keen eyesight could discern the outline of the olive grove near the waterhole where Eagle had said she would find Leo. Virgo found him lying alone, unconscious and almost rigid. Placing her bag and lantern on the ground, she knelt to his chest listening for a heartbeat. Relieved to detect a faint murmur, she hurriedly reached for the file of antidote from her bag. Cradling his motionless head in her lap, she placed the file between his lips and dripped the medicine as far back in his throat as she could. This done, she turned her attention to the wound itself and, holding the light above him, looked for visible signs of the bite. A trickle of blood seeped out from under his tangled mane and on closer inspection, she found two small punctures between his shoulder blades. If only some of the poison had been drawn off, he wouldn't be in such a poorly state now. Taking a selection of ointments, she rubbed them into the wound and then covered the punctures with a neat dressing. She removed her cloak and draped it over him, hoping its warmth would restore him to consciousness. Wearily, she went to wash her hands in the nearby water, glad to realise the rain had stopped. She felt great relief to think that her corn was saved from flooding. Now what she had to think about was how to get Leo to the safety of her farm, for he wasn't able to walk and would need proper nursing if he was to regain full health. The storm broke as Libra was crossing the moors, the pelting rain slowing his pace. Pulling his travelling cloak around his ears and tugging his hat over his eyes, he didn't see the eagle returning to Scorpio, rushing to get Serpentis home. The hour was late when he arrived at the farm, but the rain had slowed to a drizzle. There were no lights in the house, but as he pulled up he spotted the note pinned to the front door. Virgo's news was a blow. Before setting off to her aid, he unloaded the gift and placed it out of sight in her parlour. He had assured her it was not too fancy, for she preferred simplicity, and that it would enhance the view from her parlour window. It was a small column of the purest white marble, fashioned in the slender image of Virgo herself, with one arm upraised to support an oval-shaped dish which served as a bird table, while the other embraced a sheaf of corn. He had not told her these details, for he wished to witness her pleasure when receiving it, and would advise her on where best to place it for his workmanship to be most admired. 
Stoking the wood-burning stove, he then draped the wet blanket over the fender to dry. Although in haste, he was hungry and cut several slices of bread and honey to take with him. Virgo heard the pony and trap approaching, surprised but relieved that Libra was on hand so soon. Gently she stroked Leo's forehead and assured him he would be his old self again in a few days. She recalled her copious letters to him about the prowlers who thieved her chickens and livestock, then take refuge on the plains. Her pleas had hereto gone without satisfactory response, but perhaps tonight's events might make him more alert to her losses and sharpen his intent about calling the culprits to order. Oh, there you are, cried Libra, alighting the trap. What dreadful catastrophe has happened to Leo? I mean, why is he here? He moved in closer to inspect the prostrate lion. Oh, you may well ask. I'm so relieved to see you. I wasn't expecting you till morning. Uh, how come you're here? She answered. Oh, I saw Eagle pass earlier carrying Serpentus. I knew something wasn't right. I brought some bread and honey in case you might be hungry. It'll keep your strength up, he smiled, offering her the food. Oh, thank you, but I'm so tired. I don't think I could eat a thing, she replied wanly, merely nibbling at the bread. All I know is that Eagle arrived at my door with Serpentus. He was badly wounded, and then she instructed me to come to Leo's aid, saying nothing more than that there had been a confrontation and that Leo lay dying from the snake's bite. Oh, it's lucky I got here when I did. It's been touch and go, Libra, but I feel sure he will survive with proper care. In a little while we'll get him into the trap and take him to the farm. I can't imagine what's been going on. Why would Serpentus attack Leo? Oh, such me, responded Libra with a shrug of his shoulders. The whole world seemed topsy-turvy at the moment, but Scorpio certainly has some questions to answer. However, you will be pleased to know that I remembered to bring the surprise I promised. He was trying to cheer her, knowing she'd be worrying about getting the crops in, and in addition to the great concern for the lion's recovery, how this event with Leo was already creating delay. They sat in silence a while, Libra managing a short nap while waiting for Leo to stir. As the dark began to lift, the sound of Virgo's cockerel greeting the dawn came drifting over the corn. Leo raised his head to this welcome signal, and they helped him to board the trap. This way, this way, croaked the Shrike, pretending to lead Ares straight ahead. The corn reached higher than Ares' sightline and he needed a guide to keep him on a straight course. However, the Shrike intended to run him in circles until he dropped, exhausted, when it would meet with no resistance when searching him for the pearl. The thief spotted Virgo when she entered the field from the farm. It promptly led Ares away from her path and around on himself. The wind then changed direction and the stalks were blowing and thrashing against him. You will have to quit across the field. Go with the flow. Can't one against the wind. Too blowy. Follow me, it cried repeatedly. It was such hard going against the corn that Ares conceded the shrike was right. After a great many arduous crisscrossings of the rain-soaked field, a seriously tiring Ares began to suspect something was wrong. He'd stopped in his tracks a few times to rest a little and leap up to get his bearings, but he seemed always to be in the centre of the field. All he could see was a sea of corn. He was no nearer the homestead. He'd become almost expert at judging timings and distances from his experience on the plains, and rightly thought he should have reached the far side a while ago, even if he was taking a serpentine path. Why wasn't he making progress? And he was desperately worried about Leo. At length, panting for breath, he stopped again to sort his thoughts on the matter. The Shrike sat down beside him. Oh, not far now. Take a nap if you're tired, it suggested hoping he would do just that. At that moment, the sound of the crowing cockerel caught Ares' attention. It wasn't too far away. Again he sprung into the air to see above the corn. Relief! He'd made some headway, and it seemed he was now only a few leaps from the lawn in front of the cottage. I'll take it myself from here, he said abruptly, still puzzling why the crossing had taken so long. 
He wondered if the Shrike had slowed him, guided him wrongly on purpose, or indeed why it would wish to. But that wasn't his priority right now. Medicine for Leo was. I'll catch you later then, the Shrike croaked after him, blistering at being foiled again. It hadn't counted on Ares' determination and reserves of stamina. With all his strength, Ares strained to take his last leap over the corn. Alas, he had not known of the stream. The distasteful memory of Cancer's Lake flashed through his mind as he scrambled shivering from the ice-cold water. Shaking the wet from his ears, he walked up to the house and pushed on the door. It opened easily, and he walked along a small passageway into the large farmhouse kitchen bathed in a rosy light from the glow of the stove. He called, hello, but realised he was alone. Gazing around, awed by their domestic surroundings, he saw Virgo's note lying on the table next to the bread and honey. Trying to decipher her hurried script and wishing he'd spent more time on his reading lessons with the Gemini, he managed to make out the words Leo and gone to help. He felt a certain relief but was puzzled how come Virgo knew about Leo's injuries or where he had been attacked. And whom was the note written for? Feeling unable to think clearly and hungry, he reached for the bread and accidentally knocked over the honeypot. The sticky fluid spilled onto the table edge and dripped onto the floor. Too tired to care, he dragged the blanket from the fender to the floor, then sunk in a heap by the stove and slept. The honey continued to trickle and run on to the blanket edge. The sun had risen as the pony and trap crossed the bridge into the courtyard and with the sound of the farmyard animals calling for breakfast, no trace of the night's tempest remained. Virgo asked Libra to make Leo comfortable in the barn while she prepared more medication. Upon entering the kitchen, she stopped in alarm. On closer inspection, the muddy heap in front of the stove was a strange creature swathed in half a blanket, the other half of which was covered in a mess of honey. Everything was a mess, yet the creature was snoring, quite oblivious to the moment. Stressed and fatigued, Virgo's natural modesty deserted her. She grabbed the blanket and whisked it away, jolting Ares awake. Get up at once, she scalded, her blue eyes flashing with indignation. Look what you've done to this blanket, you dirty, messy creature. And my floor, mud everywhere. Ares rose unsteadily to his feet. His fleece was splattered in mud with broken stalks of corn jutting here and there. He was about to speak but didn't get the chance. Everywhere, a dreadful sticky mess. She was furious. Who are you? How did you... Ah, don't tell me. You're the surprise, Libra promised. The perfect harvest time gift. Well, thank you, but no thank you. You'll find him in the barn. She pointed to the door. Out! Without protest, he made a rapid exit. She slumped into the rocking chair and burst into tears. Enhance the view from my parlour indeed. <laughs> what in the name of sanity is going on, she sniffled, and dabbing her eyes with a clean cotton hanky, decided she must get on. Ares hurried across the courtyard towards what he guessed to be the barn. Hearing the murmur of voices, he craned his neck around the open door and warily moved inside. Libra was making Leo comfortable on a deep straw bed, Relieved to see his friend alive, Ares pushed past Libra to speak to him. Oh, I had to leave you. A bird said you'd been poisoned. I had to find medicine. He was feeling awkward, as though he had deserted Leo, let him down. Leo groaned. He just wanted to sleep and wake on the plains under a glorious morning sun. Oh, he will be fine. Sagittarius survives the bite, and so will he, assured Libra. But who are you? Serpentis? Leo was now alert, if very weak. I thought it was some slinker after easy prey. What the blazes is going on? He groaned again. Well, that's precisely what I want to know, said Virgo crisply, entering with a tray of oatmeal, skimmed milk and Leo's medication. I asked who you are, repeated Libra, scrutinising Ares, not impressed by his dishevelled appearance. 
This is Ares, a loyal friend, announced Leo before Ares could speak. Ares? The real Ares? Virgo's eyes widened in surprise and Ares thought what a beautiful colour they were. They reminded him of the bluebells in the Gemini's wood. What do you mean, real? asked Libra, taking the tray and serving himself a helping of oatmeal with milk and honey. Well, amongst other things, I had wondered if he was the surprise you'd promised, she teased, sweeping past him to give Leo an assortment of sugar-coated pills. He's nothing like my gift. My gift is perfect. You'll adore it, he said indignantly. What I wish to know is, what is Ares doing here? And please explain what you mean by the real Ares. I mean, he looks... Well, um, uh, he looks... Uh, Libra's tone was slightly disdainful as he searched for a suitable description, but Virgo answered, Oh, nothing really. I just picked up some silly gossip on the bird song that Leo had a new friend named Ares. <laughs> I imagined it was someone play-acting, masquerading as one of the realm's sovereigns to enhance their appeal. It's often done on the plains, as you know. False names, false manes, wanting centre stage at one of Leo's gold star do's, she quipped. Flattered by her answer, Ares spoke up. I am the real Ares, adventurer and explorer, investigator, survivor of earthquakes, fighter of bulls, conqueror of... Never mind the pomp, said Libra, cutting him short. Despite his usually genial nature, he was finding that Ares' manner irritated him. What we need to know is why you were on the plains in the first place, and why did Serpenta strike Leo? His irritation was evident. Oh, he was asleep, put in Leo. He didn't see anything. I was saving him from attack, and told what little he knew of the incident. You saved my life, exclaimed Ares. And you saved mine, replied Leo. I would be carrion now if you hadn't run for help. Oh, no, no. No, it was the eagle who told me you'd been bitten, said Virgo. I was on my way before Ares arrived here. And made a mess? She threw the ram a scathing glance. But I would have been here sooner if that old bird hadn't led me in circles around the cornfield, he said defensively. It promised to lead me to help. Old bird, quizzed Libra. He was none too pleased with Ares, deserting his realm, traversing the lands. He was upsetting the balance of things. Nor could he recall sight of an old bird in or around the cornfields as he'd crossed. Never mind, old birds. Just answer the questions, he snapped. I don't like your tone, retorted Ares aggressively. And for that matter, who are you? He didn't like being questioned and wasn't going to allow himself to be intimidated, despite the circumstances. Virgo hospitably served him a bowl of breakfast, hoping to allay his rising irritation. Oh, forgive me, replied Libra, following her lead, realising it would be better to employ charm at this juncture. The ram obviously had a hot, impulsive temper that could only inhibit enlightenment of the situation. I'm Libra, of the collective realms, and you're right. My tone was a little supercilious, forgive me. But since you are the real Ares, then you know that your realm is the one alone, secluded behind the hills of Great Tor. That you're so far from home is unprecedented and questionable. I mean, such an act could completely upset the balance of things. Surely you understand our concern? Ares wondered what supercilious meant, but decided to find out later. I know of Great Tor, but there was no realm, he replied flatly, then went on to tell his story in brief. Libra and Virgo were flabbergasted. Earthquake? Following the sun? But what of your clan? What's happened to them? inquired Virgo. Clan? What clan? I've told you there was only me in that crater. I know nothing of any clan. Ares' tone brooked all argument. Libra and Virgo exchanged worried glances, at a loss as what to make of it all. What about Scorpio? Have you met her eagle or serpent on your travels? pressed Libra. I've never heard of Scorpio till now, or anyone connected with that name, he answered truthfully. I have no idea why she wants to attack me, and that's the truth. Tell me where to find this Scorpio, and I'll sort things out immediately. Virgo believed he was being sincere, and could see the sense in addressing Scorpio as soon as possible. However, a trek to the mountains and back would take a number of days, and she had her crops to get in, as well as nursing Leo. 
She feared she might be left in the lurch and looked to Libra for some resolution. For his part, Libra didn't wish to go herring off to the mountains at once either. He was tired, nor did he have his mountaineering gear with him. Also, he was aware of Virgo's dilemma. After short deliberation, he gave his view. We do need to question Scorpio, of course. However, there's no need to go off to the mountains at once. It's harvest time, and there is every chance the eagle will return to the cornfield soon. This is a time when she can gather a deal of information without travelling too far afield. It's my suggestion we wait, and in the meantime help Virgo to get her crops in. Ares agreed. On consideration, he preferred not to leave Leo before he was more recovered, and besides, he wanted to learn more about Miss Virgo and this Libra fellow. Good, all's in order, smiled Virgo, collecting the breakfast dishes. I suggest we take a rest before making a determined start this afternoon. In the meantime, Ares, follow me, please. The steady gaze of her lively blue eyes entreated that he obey. She led him across the courtyard to a small outhouse built over the chimney stack at the side of the cottage. Slipping the latch, she held the door ajar, gesturing for him to enter the warm, perfumed room. I'm sure you'll know what to do, she smiled, closing the door behind him and a tub of steaming foam. The Shrike lay low on the edge of the cornfield, it had watched as Ares entered the barn, and seeing the coast was clear, sneaked into the hayloft to listen. It was fuming. It daren't risk being spotted at the harvest now, a time when it had planned to recruit more messengers to its cause, to take by the foulest means that which was not its to have. With the collective's intelligence impaired, the sovereigns would have little choice but accept the lie it was seeding to grow in that that it had won possession of the prize pearl in no man's land when rousting a gang of insurgents who'd been foraging on the plains. It would be seen as a hero, a rightful new sovereign of the realm. However, Ares stumbling into the midst of things had caused complications, and the Shrike was having to adapt its plans. Again, it must wait to see what moves Ares would make next. That the ram had made no mention of the pearl pleased but puzzled it. Why, when he was boasting about his travels, didn't he mention that the Gemini had bestowed him with such a glorious gift, especially since rumour has it that he had lost his own realm? Surely it was a prize worth mentioning. Hmm, a glimmer of enlightenment dawned. Conclusion. Whammy don't know he got it, which is why he didn't tell, of course. He don't know anything. With great relief, it realised that all it had to do now was wait until Ares was alone, then secretly steal it back. If stealing proved too tricky, it would have to convince the ram that the Gemini had stolen the pearl from itself and were using him to hide the proof of their theft. It would persuade Ares to hand over the gem as an act of decent honesty, then peck out his eyes and split his tongue with its razor-sharp, serrated beak. Easy peasy. However, Scorpio's recent involvement in the matter threatened to ruin its plans entirely. The Shrike cast its mind back to the meeting in the forest, trying to recall whatever it managed to overhear. Eagle knows that Whammy got the pearl. But what the Shrike found equally puzzling was that the Eagle, or more correctly Scorpio, was not sharing this intelligence with others of the collective. Hmm, odd. And how come Scorpio's worm attacked on Wham at night? Its manipulative mind moved around the facts to find the answers. Because the Shrike was unaware of both the Mouse's and Cancer's part in it all, it began to deduce that the Gemini and Scorpio were somehow in collusion over keeping the pearl. The eagle had been in the forest when its nest had toppled and the pearl lost. Gemini and the eagle must have found it and hatched a plot, and they are now using the unsuspecting ram as a scapegoat in some way. Hmm... The Shrike was greedy, deceitful, ruthless and vain. Its biggest error 
was in believing that everyone thought and behaved like its wicked self in matters of possible gain. I want only one domain. Scorpio with plotting power over two. E the wicked schemer. But whatever silly muddle it was making for itself, the Shrike realised that it must get possession of the pearl before Ares made his intended visit to Scorpio, and certainly while Libra was still in the dark about the gem's whereabouts. If it was successful in that endeavour, it reasoned there would still be enough confusion in communications for it to bluff its innocence against any claims the Gemini and Scorpio might make against it, and thus for its lie about obtaining the pearl in no man's land to succeed. Well, just about. Stay focused. Stay cool. After a rest and a light lunch, the remainder of that day and the next few were spent gathering the crops until heavier work was completed. Making good use of the brief opportunity during break times, Virgo took notes for her diary as Ares recounted his travels. In turn, he realised how resourceful she was and a tireless worker. She seemed so intense while cutting the last of the corn, he felt the urge to tease her. Oh, it's hard work being part of Leo's realm, isn't it? Her eyes flashed. Part of Leo? She gasped, mopping her brow with a forearm, brushing strands of hair from her face. How dare you even think? Oh, it's just a little joke, he said laughingly. He'd obviously touched a nerve. Ah, I see. And whose little joke, exactly? Virgo was sharp as a knife, and guessed rightly that Leo was the author of this little joke. Oh, you have very pretty eyes, he grinned, wanting to change the subject. She relaxed, amused by his cheeky smile. I also have a cupboard full of pretty little jokes, thinking she had the perfect way to even the score. Part of Leo's realm, indeed. But his ruse had worked and she sat to take a break. He asked what supercilious meant. Well, pompous, feeling superior, I suppose, she answered, taking a drink of water. Are all the collective supercilious? His tone was serious. Oh, what a strange question, she laughed softly. Oh, sometimes they all might seem so, is the most truthful answer. But they do do invaluable work. Why do you ask? Oh, it's just a word I heard, he shrugged then asked her about Libra. Oh, Libra's a good neighbour, as you can see. He's an enormous help to me at these times. Also, I sometimes get bogged down in too much detail, worrying, giving rise to headaches and tummy upsets. That's why I strive for order. In his desire to achieve harmony, Libra's sense of order calms me. Unlike myself, he's able to relax easily. Though I will say that sometimes he relaxes too easily, especially when it comes to the more unpleasant tasks around the farm. He will be more than fair to himself should he wish to avoid doing something. And uh, who is such something? Someone he mentioned who has also been bitten by Scorpio's serpent. Ah, yes, well, that will be Sagittarius. But we call him Sag. He's also one of the collective and lives on a plateau high on the range. As for Sag, well, he is very good-humoured and great company, but I often find his jokes inappropriate. He likes to travel and he knows a great deal about various terrains, but also he tends to preach a bit and, and thinks he's right about everything, when, of course, no one is right all the time. Oh, forgive me. It's not that I mean to criticise either of them. I can be a bit too pernickety myself. We all have idiosyncrasies. Uh, but it's important that we at least try to be perfect, hmm? She gave him a gentle dig in the ribs with her elbow. And it's the same when I prepare my fields for planting. The more thorough I am when tilling the earth, sifting out the weeds and stones, the better the crops will root and the better the harvest. None too sure how perfect she might find himself, he changed the subject to her orchards and fields, saying how they reminded him of Taurus, but also that she put him in mind of the Gemini, since they were interested in detailed information, except they were more talkative and preferred play to work, or so it seemed to him. She laughed again, acknowledging his comparisons, saying she had more dealings with the Gemini because of the many birds which flocked to her fields from their realm, until the troubles in communications, we used to exchange news regularly. 
I miss their bulletins, snippets of gossip from the forest, and will be glad when normal service is resumed. He was about to tell her of their clever scheme and the returning of that black pearl to cancer, but Virgo had stood to resume work, saying time enough had been spent chatting. Not wanting to be seen to shirk, he said no more. He considered the incident in an important detail anyway, so promptly forgot about it. Little did he know that this small omission would lead him to mortal danger and cast him to the depths of despair. Virgo admired Ares' energy and capacity for work. She found he encouraged her own resolve and she felt he was a positive force when it came to getting things done. She told him he would be welcome visitor to her farm at any time. When their day was over, Libra enjoyed the comfort of his usual guest room in the house, while Ares chose to stay in the barn and keep Leo company. To the Shrike's abject frustration, Ares was constantly in company, and it had no chance to accost him. It was vital that no one else became aware of its presence, that it had survived at this time. The birds had flocked to the fields from all regions, trilling over and over the song the Gemini had composed for the eagle, warning the Shrike was aboard. The eagle, however, had been conspicuous in her absence, causing everyone to work harder and faster in order to make a start for the mountains. They had worked tirelessly, and Virgo was pleased that the harvesting had been completed in record time. Leo was recovering and able to gently stroll around the farm. Libra had presented Virgo with his gift of the marble bird table, delighted that she, Ares and Leo were all suitably impressed and appreciative of its detail. He duly placed the statue on the lawn in front of the cottage so it could be viewed from the parlour window. Leo gave it high praise, at the same time saying how much he looked forward to seeing Libra at his next extravaganza. He knew Libra enjoyed these occasions and both looked forward to having fun and spending time together during those festivities. On the morning of their departure, Virgo had laid on a farewell breakfast fit for kings. The aroma of freshly baked bread had everyone hastening from their beds to gather around the big oak table, which nestled under the boughs of an old apple tree in the orchard behind her cottage. There was a sumptuous assortment of jams and honey, cheeses, yogurts, fruits, cereals, scrambled eggs, mushrooms and juices. Though it was pleasant to relax in the early morning sunshine, Ares was eager to get going. Virgo had packed a lunch of fruit and sandwiches for their journey, and when all were ready, she and Leo walked them through the orchards and past the rows of beehives to take their farewells at the edge of her vineyards. Leo was feeling very much better, but would stay a few days more since he'd suddenly developed a jippy tummy. Otherwise, he was so appreciative of Virgo's caring for him, he promised that once he returned to the plains, he would ensure no thieves would dare to scavenge her livestock. That was Marion reading chapter six of Follow the Sun, the chapter all about Virgo. So Marion, before arriving in Virgo's realm, Aries encountered the previous signs of Taurus, Gemini, Cancer and Leo individually. And in Virgo, Aries and the listener have been introduced to the signs of Libra and Scorpio. Why is that? Well, this change is appropriate both astrologically and for the purposes of the story. This is where Aries experiences growing ever wider and he meets some of the collective that he had learned about in the Gemini. um, You know, they told him about the collective. Yet, while the listener is aware of further signs coming into play, I have to say that I have kept faithful to Aries meeting them 
in their correct order, since after Leo, Virgo is next to briefly encounter Aries before the Ram is introduced to Libra, his opposite number in the Zodiac. But with regards to the difference between the first six signs and the second six signs of the cycle, because as I say, Virgo is a pivotal point and that's why things change here. Um, The second six are called the collective. That is because the first six signs are mainly expressive of personal activities, while the second six are more concerned with activities entered into with other people or further afield than the sort of narrow personal surroundings. And the difference really is explained in greater depth to Aries by Libra in the next chapter, and so is a part of the story where the listener will gain a deeper insight to this. Okay, thanks, Marion. And in the next podcast, we'll be talking about oppositions in a chart. That's right. You've been listening to the sixth podcast of the series Follow the Sun. Look out for the next one where Marion will be taking us into the seventh sign of Libra. This is a story based on the sequence of the Zodiac, so make sure you don't miss out by subscribing through your favourite podcast provider. Follow the Sun was written by Marion Mente. The podcast was produced by me, Pomihama, and this was a Black Pearl production. 